What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and today we have an exciting episode about house hacking and the new book on house hacking from Craig Kerlop, The Bigger Pockets, which I'm wearing my new shirt because I just got it in the mail today. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for joining the community. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, but this is a bonus episode, so this is coming out on a Wednesday night, and the book releases tomorrow, so definitely listen all the way through. Show notes are found at frommilitarymillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave with from Military to Millionaire, and I'm here with Craig Kerlop, who is a he works at Bigger Pockets, and he's now the author of this book, The House Hacking Strategy, which comes out on October 3rd. And I had the uh, honor of getting an advanced copy to check out so that we could talk about it, and it's awesome. So, Craig, super excited about this. We've been friends for a little over a year now, and uh, just excited to have you on the show and talk about your awesome new book and everything else. Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think we met last year at FinCon, right? That That's was, it. That was the yeah. first time. You had no idea who I was. I had no idea who you were. And then this last year, like you're probably one of five people who've seen me that drunk in like three or four years. So yeah, hey, I think we were, we were all there, man. You weren't alone. So You should feel special. I don't know how I got home to my room. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Craig, and let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about this and then we'll get into the book. Yeah. So I mean, my name is Craig Kerlop. Um, basically my story kind of started when I graduated college, I moved to California and had a job that I absolutely hated. And what turned out to be is, well, I guess I liked that job for like the first six months. And then I realized that, man, it was, it was not what I wanted it to be. And I was working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. And what, what really, and I was, what really basically like the straw, the straw that broke the camel's back 
was one weekend when I was down in Big Sur. So for you California folks, that's a really nice part of kind of Northern California where there's beaches and mountains and all that kind of stuff. And it was me and my girlfriend down there. And that was a part of Big Sur where there's no cell phone service and everything. It was just us for the entire weekend. And it was amazing. And on Sunday night, when I got back, this was our last night for me and my girlfriend to be together before we both moved away. My boss emailed me and said, I had to get this memo out by 8 a.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m., 5 a.m. Pacific. So I was like, okay, so there goes my Sunday night and the last night with my girlfriend at the time. And so I did what I, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. I worked, I worked, I worked. She watched a movie. And basically what it came down to was like, I was pissed. She was pissed. And we were both unhappy. And I was like, I don't want this to be for the rest of my life. Like, there's got to be a better way out. So I started Googling ways, like how to retire early, how to get out of this, passive income. I read Tim Ferriss's book and learned that I need a passive stream of recurring income. And that was basically what started turning my wheels. And then I stumbled upon real estate, bigger pockets. And once I figured out about bigger pockets and real estate, I was like, okay, real estate is the way to do it. I don't need to start this new company. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's just tried and true. And I just want to get my life back. So I did that within you know six months. I had moved to Denver, bought my first house hack. And that's kind of where the story all started. Dude, that's cool. What year was that? I moved to Denver in April, 2017. So that was like a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. That's quick. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So I read, uh, not Tim Ferriss's book right away, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and one of the Bigger Pockets book in uh, like October of 2015 and bought my little house hack in December of 2015. Uh, But it was, you know, house hack purchase in Missouri is a little bit uh, less intense or scary than house hack purchasing in Denver, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, so how did you, so six months, right? You read the book at four hour work week, right? Yep. Okay. Great book, by the way. I love that book for efficiency. I need to read that again. Um, so you read this book and within six months you've essentially bought a house hack, moved across the country or whatever. And like, that's a huge change. How did you like, what, what do you think got you off the ledge? It was just, it was that weekend, man, when I was, in Big Sur there. And I just was, and I was, and I had to continue to go back to work and continue to basically work tons of hours to make my boss 10 times more than me, which really just ticked me off. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. So, you know, I, what, what did I want to do with my life, man? I wanted to live my life back. I wanted to travel. I wanted to spend time with friends and family, maybe pursue my own business endeavor at some point. Right. And I was just trying to figure out the quickest way that I can achieve that financial independence goal. And so I figured out that house hacking is probably the most effective way. And, but I didn't find that out right away. Right. I didn't find it out from Tim Ferriss's book that I read that book in like maybe August of 2016. And from August to April is when I was gung. I I was on bigger pockets, three, four hours a day, reading the blog posts, attending the webinars, reading all the books, like three to four hours a day of education, just to get me to the point where I felt comfortable so that I could start investing in real estate. And so then in June, 2017 was my close to my first one here in Denver. That's cool. So, you know, as crappy as this is going to sound, I would venture to say that that terrible ending to your weekend with your girlfriend was a great thing for you because I've been, I, I was at, a, I was talking to a guy named Jason Redman, who's a seal this weekend. And he was pointing the, his little talk that he was given was saying like pain is what initiates change, right? If you hadn't felt that uncomfort or that that misery that pain of like the w2 job that you were stuck in you may have never you may have found all this stuff but never taken the jump because you're like well you know i'm comfortable here i'm okay um so that that's cool like i mean it sucks but it's cool yeah i call it a blessing in disguise for sure 
Yeah, I mean, we've yeah. all had some of those, right? Um, I'm hoping that this pain that I'm feeling right now with my uh, little house flip that's taking way longer than it should is going to turn out to be a great thing. But <laughs> it will be for sure. You'll learn a lot of lessons from it. You either win or you learn, right? There's no such that's, thing as losing. That's it. That's it. Okay, so you moved to Bigger Pockets or to Denver. Bigger Pockets, I guess, is a location, but probably not where you moved. You like moved in, <laughs> crawled under the desk, and like. Um, Although, uh, from what it sounds, I mean, yeah. <laughs> living under a desk might have been about right. So we, let's get into some of the house hack stuff because you've got a really crazy story with this. So why, why house hacking first? Yeah. So basically, I knew that, again, I knew that that would be the quickest way to, one, get into real estate and two, achieve financial independence because it would, one, eliminate my largest expense at the time, which was housing. And two, it would help me build wealth. And three, it would also allow me to kind of get a little bit of exposure into real estate investing by kind of having that transition between, okay, renting to owning my own home. And then I'm basically still in my own home, but now I've just got a tenant or a roommate that I'm managing a lease for and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I decided on house hacking. Um, the property itself is a duplex. It's an up down duplex that is about a mile and a half from the bigger pockets office and about five blocks North of Denver's largest park in a very up and coming, gentrifying area that I was really bullish on. So I bought the property. It was worth $385,000 is what I paid for it. And I put, I did the FHA loan three and a half percent down. I rented out the top and lived in the bottom and, but the top wasn't quite covering my mortgage. My mortgage payment on that was about two grand and I was getting 1750 for the top. So I was still having to pay about 250 bucks a month plus reserves and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't cash flowing and that, that irked me. So I decided to get a little bit creative and rent out my bedroom on Airbnb while I lived in the bottom. And so I made a bedroom out of the living room by putting up like a cardboard box room <coughs> divider and a curtain Love it. and rented out my bedroom, had basically a revolving door of Airbnb guests for the whole year, slept on a futon behind the curtain. And that's really what got me in a financial position to kind of get where I am today, which is now financially independent. So. Yeah. So for those of you listening, uh, if you didn't put two and two together, paying $250 a month on your mortgage in Denver would be a huge win without doing the Airbnb because like he said, $1,750 for the other person to live up above. But yes, the man lived behind a cardboard box in his living room to gain financial independence, which I love. So I'm, I'm personally, in fact, I have a guest here right now, uh, Airbnb being the downstairs bedroom bathroom of the house that I'm, I'm actually, I'm renting. I didn't buy this one. Uh, I was not going to live in San Diego long enough for me to care to deal with California tenant laws when I move out. And I, uh, so I'm renting and I've got a tenant down there doing Airbnb. And so I love the fact that you did the living room cardboard box thing. Cause it makes me feel less awkward about the fact that I live above in the master suite. Uh, no, that's awesome. Is it your, are you Airbnb? Are you running the Airbnb? So as of right now, although, uh, with this week, I think I realized that I may need to outsource that because I had. So I, I had it on just VRBO because the, at the neighborhood's so new that it wasn't on Google yet. So Airbnb wouldn't let me put the address in, but that it finally got updated. So I put the address in, put it on Airbnb, like immediately booked all the way out through like halfway through October. But I had a, I hadn't changed the check-in time for the Airbnb. So all of a sudden, like Monday morning, I get an email saying like, Hey, someone's moving in at two o'clock. And I'm like, well, my other person's moving out at 11. It's 20 minutes from my office to home. I have an hour lunch break. Like I have 15 minutes to clean this entire area and make it back to work. And uh, so I, in that brief moment, I did it and I had to buy new sheets and stuff on the way. Cause I was like, I don't have time to do laundry. So I like put new sheets and stuff on the bed. Um, 
but I very quickly realized that it may be less feasible for me to operate it myself. Yeah, I mean, you gotta get a cleaning crew. Like, there, I can't even, I don't even know what I would do without my cleaning crew. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, so you went from the living room, and that's not your only house hack. So, where'd you go from there? Yeah, so that was allowing me to save, you know, a thousand plus dollars a month. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so, with, with that savings, you know, $12,000 a year plus my other savings that I was already saving, um, you know, I had enough money to do my next house hack which this one was a little bit different. This was a single family house that is a five bed, two bathroom up in Thornton, Colorado. It's about 10 miles north of the office in Denver, but still close to the bike path, so I could still bike in. And I, so yeah, this time I lived in my own room, praise the Lord, and <laughs> had my own door, had my own closet, had all the good stuff. And this time I rented out the other four bedrooms. And so this house I bought for 343,000, my monthly payment again was about 2000. The, you know, the purchase price was lower, but the interest rate was higher. So it ended up being a wash and my mortgage payments were like $20 off. So yeah, $2,000 I was getting for the mortgage. And then for all the rooms, I was getting 3,200, right? So I was making $1,200 over the mortgage and living for free while, you know, while living up in this Thornton house. Now I'd set aside, this was a larger house and, and slightly older. So I would set aside a little bit more for reserves. I set aside $400 a month for reserves. And that covers, you know, capital expenditures. It covers the vacancies. It covers everything. And I would just funnel that away. And then, you know, the rest was kind of all mine. So what was that? $800 was kind of mine. I'm just saving it anyway. But yeah, so again, another great deal. Well, and that's not even accounting for once you moved out of the first duplex, were you able to rent the bottom out for enough to profit on that one too? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I was renting out the bottom duplex for a little bit more. And now, you know, I was making about a thousand dollars on that one. So I'm basically making about a thousand dollars on each, on each property that I get with this kind of rent by the room type strategy. The duplex, I got a little bit lucky on the purchase price and that it's, it is new. So it, it rents out pretty well, but you know, you got to take risks to get lucky. Right. So. Yeah. So is this second one, the one where, uh, where Connor was one of your roommates for a little while? Yeah. Yeah, he was. So, yep. so I remember that last year when I met him as well. And I thought that was cool. Cause he was like, yeah, I'm looking to buy my first house act. So I'm rooming with Craig and you know, he's got me, I've got a deal. I'm helping him house hack. He's helping me learn and then I'm going to buy a house act. And then within a year he bought his own house act in Denver. So I thought that was cool that not only are you doing this, but you were like literally took someone into your house under your wing to help them get into the process as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, we did a, we had a, I gave him a nice little deal on rent too, where it, and highly incentivized him to move out and buy his own house hack within six months. Yes. So, yes. Tell. Cause I remember that. Yeah. So basically the way we did it was, so the, the market rate for that room is 700 bucks. Right. And he's my friend. So I was going to give it, I'm, I'm making him pay the $700, but the way we did it was that the first half of the year it's below market and the second half of the year it's above market. So he started off at $400 a month and every month it would increase by $50. And so at six months it was at $700 he'd pay market rent. But every month after December, he moved in in July. So after six months, it would be now over market rent. And so if he was to wait until the whole year, he'd be paying like 12 or $1,300 just for a room. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, I would get the same amount of money. So I, was, I didn't feel like I was ripping him off, but I was in, in fact helping him because his goal was to get a property by December. And so I made, I structured the lease such that, you know, he was monetarily incentivized to purchase by December. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant play, right? Because you're right, you wouldn't have lost any money if he made it the whole time. So it wasn't like you're being a total jerk. But psychologically, you gave him a little boost to like, hey, 
you know, even though it's the same amount as if we were just doing 700 across the board, there's an incentive there like, oh man, it's getting more expensive. Oh, $1,200 this month is a fortune. Um, I think that's cool because I mean, a little push is always helpful. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, at the end he, he moved out in December and I never got a rent check from him that was over market. So, you know, I mean, I'm happy to help him out though because he's, he's a good friend. So I, you know, I'll, I'll never, I always like helping people. So that's why we read a book, right? That's, that's it. And it's going to help a lot of people. House hacking was, uh, so it's funny. I lived in my house hack for all of like zero nights. Um, yeah. So I bought my house hack, right. And it closed on December 28th and I'm getting ready to move all my stuff in, right. I did some painting and some updating in the, in the unit that I was going to live in. And on like January 10th, I got orders and I was like, Oh, well I'm leaving the state in like two and a half months. Like, well, I might as well just crash with so and my wife now and i we were engaged and so it was kind of one of those like well we're gonna get married down the road whatever i got orders and it was like i need to get married right now otherwise i'm gonna have to go single and then pay out of pocket to move her rather than have the marine corps move them with me so then i'm like okay well i'm getting married now and i'm leaving in two months i might as well just move into her house until i leave because that's where the, the movers are gonna pick up all their stuff so yeah i bought my house act and i like had moved half of my stuff in and then was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just move half my stuff back out and we're leaving the state and the continental U.S. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I guess the military, right, if you get military orders, then you can th that one year occupancy law doesn't really apply. Right. Yeah. It's like a total total waiver. But it was just weird timing because I wasn't supposed to get orders yet. I was supposed to get orders like six months down the road. I was like, oh, all right. Well, see you later, guys. <laughs> that worked out perfectly for you because then you could rent out both. Right. Yeah, so I've cash flowed uh, not a huge amount, right? Missouri, the numbers are way different, but about three hundred bucks a month since uh, since day one. You know, despite paying PMI because I got talked out of the VA loan by a lender who didn't know what he was doing. But yeah, hey man, that sounds like it works still. Three hundred bucks a month is not bad. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I would like to talk. We're gonna we're gonna ask the question. Actually, first I want to point out because I told you I was gonna point this out. So if you guys check this out, so my favorite chapters in this are ten and eleven, which is where he talks about tenant screening. And I mean, there's just the whole book is chock full of good information. But like I was telling him before we recorded, this one really hit home to me because I don't, I'm not, I didn't do a whole lot of the tenant screening piece. I don't like telling people no, you're not good enough or no, you're not qualified. And so I immediately hired that out to a property manager. But this is really good stuff, and he does it in a way where he breaks all of the scenarios that you might run into into conversations so that you can, you're like, oh, man, you know, that's a really legit conversation, and I like the way he responded to that. I wouldn't have thought about it. So it's really good stuff that uh, I just, I liked it a lot. So, uh, But I wanted to let you discuss this concept called net worth return on investment that you use, which is brilliant, and I don't think that I'd ever heard anyone use it before. And I thought that was a really cool uh, way to calculate your return. So, yeah. So, uh, so the net worth return on investment, right, is you'll hear cash on cash return, right? And that's just the cash flow you get over the investment you made, right? But that's not, the, not encompassing all of the financial benefit from house hacking. So there's, there's basically four wealth creation, creators of, of house hacking or of, of real estate, right? It's the cash flow, the loan pay down, the appreciation. In the taxes, right? So for the sake of this book and this argument, I just neglect the taxes because everyone's different and I can never actually put a number on that for a specific person. Yeah. So we're gonna say cash flow, loan pay down, and appreciation. And so what you do is you take your annual cash flow, so which is your right, your 
your monthly rent minus your mortgage payment minus any reserves that you want to set. And that final number is your cash flow. You multiply that by 12 to get it annualized. Then you take the annual appreciation. So if you're actually rehabbing the property, it will probably be a little bit more because you'll force some of that appreciation in. And then you also get the loan pay down, which is you know, a part of that monthly payment is principal. And if as you pay your loan down, you're actually becoming in a better, like putting yourself in a better financial position. So you add up the cash flow, the loan pay down, and the appreciation, and you divide that over your initial investment. So that would probably be like your down payment and maybe any rehab costs that you do. And that number is your net worth return on investment. So it's exactly what's saying is for every dollar that you invested in this property, how much did your net worth increase? And in often cases, it's over 100%. In most cases, it's over 100% because house hacking is super powerful, especially for military folks because you actually have 0% down. So in this case, your net worth return on investment might be infinite if you're not putting any other work into it, right? So yeah, I mean, it's a huge powerful way. And if you are doing like an FHA loan or a low conventional down loan, you'll still get incredible returns. I don't think there's a better way to get a very high return without tons of risk, like opening a business or you know investing money in Bitcoin or whatever it is. Yeah, I, th I think that those are some very valuable points in there. For one, yeah, the VA loan and the especially the VA renovation loan, there's some awesome, awesome returns you can get from that. But yeah, people often forget the, the equity piece, right? That totally plays into your net worth. And like I find at the end of the year that I, I always look down and I'm like, oh, paid off $9,600 on this house this year. And oh, by the way, I only put 10,900 down on this house this year. So that's almost 100% return, not including all the cash flow that I got. But the thing that I love about house hacking, right? Because probably the most difficult thing for most people is buying their first property. I say that everybody's the most difficult thing is just taking action and buying the first house, right? And I think house hacking like totally mitigates that because people don't fundamentally have an issue with buying a house, right? That's like what you're taught to do from growing up, go to school, get a job, buy a house, white picket fence, yada, yada, get old, die, retirement home. Uh, but investing in real estate, for some reason, a, a $600,000 home is fine, but a $600,000 real estate investment is scary. Uh, whereas house hacking allows you to buy your first investment property while justifying psychologically that it's just buying a home. And if everything else totally fails, you might be paying a couple hundred bucks a month extra for a mortgage, but the odds are that it's not going to totally fail. So it's, you know, I love it. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone failing with a house hack that has taken the time to educate themselves. And if you're listening to this podcast, I take it that you are a person that is going to educate yourself. So yeah, I, mean, I think you got to just do it. Absolutely. Yeah. You gain the experience, you get over the hurdle. And at the end of the day, like you're buying, you're replacing the cost of where you were living before. Mm -hmm. So what is, man, I was going to ask what's next for you, but totally not at the end of the podcast. So, uh, all right. So what do you think, um, man, you know, actually I'm going to ask you a question that has nothing to do with real estate. What do you think is the number one thing that you learned from writing a book? That it's not as hard as everyone says it is. And I think everyone should kind of dive all, like dive in and try to write a book someday because I think everyone's got, I don't think no one knows the same information as anyone else, right? Like everyone has their unique information, their unique perspective on things. So I think everyone should try and write a book, even if it's only your mom and your dad and your sister that read it. I think it's just a cool experience and it's really not that hard. The only thing that's hard about it is being consistent and disciplined, right? So I always scheduled about an hour a day to write. I used to write blog posts and all that kind of stuff, but 
instead of writing blog posts for that hour, I just started writing a book. And if you write a thousand words an hour or a thousand words every hour and a half or whatever it is, and you do that every day for 90 days, which is just like three months, you'll have a 90,000 page book, 90,000 word, 90,000 word book in three months. And that's about 250 pages. So it's really just consistency. Yeah. I mean, it's like the compound effect, right? 1% better every day adds up to huge, huge gains. Yeah. Just doing a little bit every day and you gotta be disciplined, right? Like you're not going to be perfect every day. That's why it took me four months instead of three, but you know, you just try not to miss two days in a row. And it's cool that you said that about the, even if it's only your family who reads it, because some very powerful books have been written with the intention of only been showing to family. So for example, uh, Napoleon Hill wrote a book about, uh, oh man, was it called Outwitting the Devil? It's one of the ones. Yeah. And, and that was written and everybody was like, you will not publish this. You're going to ruin our, our family name. Right? Like, I think that's hilarious. But there's another book called, uh, well, it's by Evie Sledge. It's called uh, With the Old Breed. It's, it's a book that's on the Commandant's reading list for the Marine Corps. And it's this super gruesome book. Like it goes into vivid detail. If it was a movie, it would be like totally not readable because it would just be so gory about the battle of Iwo Jima and Okinawa in World War II. But it's so gruesome because the guy wrote it just as a memoir to his kids and wife to say like, this is what I went through. And he wrote it. And he was like, don't open this till I'm dead, right? Like this is every, I will, this answers every question you ever had. I don't want to talk about it, but here you go. And then they read it and they published it. And it's like this phenomenal book about, you know, war history and the battle and everything. But it's phenomenal because he didn't hold anything back and he wrote it for just people he cared about. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I just throw that out there because. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, have you ever read The Simple Path to Wealth by, uh, yeah. So he, same thing, like he wrote that for his daughter, uh, Jim Collins, wrote, or J.L. Collins, I think. J.L. Collins, Jim Collins. Oh, Jim Collins. They're both authors. They're both authors. <laughs> one one is slightly more famous than the other, but they're both really good. And he wrote it for his daughter, and it's one of the one of the most popular like financial independence books out there now. So awesome. So okay, so you own the two. Do you own a third house hack yet, or is that? I do. Yeah, I just oh, man, on, uh, like a month and a half ago. Oh well, tell us about this new one. Yeah. So again, because I had you know one property working for me and my house second house hack working for me. I was able to then go ahead and purchase a third house hack about a year later. So you see how this kind of works. And for this one, so I rented out my, my second one my, where I was living before. And I had one person in there kind of take over the management for it, discounted his rent and he took over the management for it. And then I moved into my, my third one. And so the third one is interesting. It's a three bed, two bath up top <coughs> and a three bed, one bath down low. And it is a six bed, three bath, single family home. But what I've done is I'm actually kind of totally redoing the basement and I'm walling off where the upstairs and the downstairs kind of connect. And right at that wall, there's a separate entrance to the garage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to Airbnb the basement, which has its own, own kitchen, its own laundry room. It's got three beds and a bath down there. So it's a perfect Airbnb. I'm just kind of making it look all modern and nice because it was a little bit dungeony before. And I believe, so I've got a friend down there, uh, down in a similar area that's making $2,000 a month on a studio apartment. So I believe my three bed, one bath will at least rent for $2,000 a month. I'm just going to like use that as my very conservative estimate. And the top, I'm living up top in one of the rooms, the crappiest room, and I'm renting out the master bedroom and the other slightly larger bedroom for a total of 1550. So I've got 2000 below 1550 up top. And so total rent is 3550 and my 
mortgage payment on this one is 2100. So this one I bought for 380,000. And again, interest rates are slightly higher and I didn't use the FHA loan. So um, yeah, slightly higher mortgage payment, but much higher rent as well. And yeah, so I'm making $1,400 over the mortgage and, and I'm living for free. So yeah. And we've talked through all the cash flow numbers, which, which is awesome. And the amount of money you're, you know, not spending on your mortgage in a very expensive market. But the piece that we haven't talked about is you bought your first property a year and a half ago in a market that's done very well. So you're going to also be benefiting from appreciation by the time you move out, which is, I mean, just icing on the cake, right? Sure thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't got that one appraised, so I don't know what the like, official value is, but if you go by that Zillow estimate or whatever, it's about like 60 or $70,000 over what I bought it. And I literally have done nothing to it. So. Yeah. Well, like you said, you bought in the path of progress, which is huge. Yep. I mentioned that in the book too, how to, where to buy properties and the path of progress is a very good spot to look. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned in the book that I love that uh, Scott mentions in his book as well, which is just, a concept that a lot of people don't even think about is proximity to work yeah. and the ability, you know, like you, do you, do you even own a car? I know you cycle everywhere, but do you yeah. even own a car? I do own a car now. Uh, I used to rent my car out. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that for the first year I rented my car out, but now I do own a car. I rarely drive it. You know, I'm actually quite proud. You know how like on the oil change stickers, it says like the <laughs> mileage and the date. And usually no one actually hits the date. I'm like way past the date and I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. You know, so I, I drive it maybe once a week to go yeah. pick up groceries or I go to the mountains or something, something fun. But yeah. I think there's something really cool about, you know, we're talking, we talk financial freedom or whatever, but the fact that you're able to get a workout in on your way to and from work while saving money, while seeing the country, while depending on, you know, if you put headphones in, like you could listen to a whole podcast on the way to work and a whole podcast on the way back or an audiobook there and back in like two hours of content while getting your exercise in so you don't have to work out during the day or whenever else while saving money while cycling, which is just fun and stress relieving. And yep. you don't have to pay like parking fees or anything crazy in Denver. Yep. It's very easy to park. It's, all those things are great. And I tell you, like some days I do have to drive into work for one reason or the other. And man, my days are so much better. I'm so much more productive when I bike in than when I drive. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I love that. When I uh, finally get my stupid knee surgery and can ride my bike again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little farther away from work, but I'll at least try to do it once or twice a week. I think it's just, it's a good feeling. It's nice. Yeah. Especially in the morning when it's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess that's true. It's, I, I haven't even thought about that in San Diego. I don't, I don't have constant humidity like Hawaii. So the weather no. would be great to cycle here. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego is like the perfect place in the world to live. Otherwise. <laughs> yeah. It's not too bad. I mean, yeah, weather-wise, there's some some crazy regulations out here, but oh, and I'm super glad I didn't end up buying here. Uh, you know, I told I joked about like the tenant rules, but then they come out with rent control like a month after I move in. I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm I'm glad I did not go ahead and dump a ton of money into this house right now. Jeez, yeah, like yeah, it's tough. I mean, California is tough too with high taxes and I mean, yeah. very liberal state, so. For those listening, I'm not saying don't buy in San Diego, right? It could totally have worked, but I knew that I was only going to be here for like 18 months. And I know that we're, if not at the peak, we're close to the peak. I mean, we're, we're over the market price that it was in 2007. So I just knew that the appreciation game in 18 months was probably not going to be enough to pay a commission when I sold the place. And I did not have any desire to long distance landlord a California property that I don't ever plan on coming back to. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense. 
All right, so I always like to ask a couple questions before we wrap things up. But is there anything we didn't cover yet about the book or house hacking that we should before we? Uh, well, you mentioned tenant screening. Did we ever actually get into that? Oh, dude, yeah, we didn't dig too far into that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we can. Whatever, whatever you'd like to do, it's your show. Don't let me tell you what to do. But. No, tell me what to do. I like it. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, I guess I would just, yeah, that's a good point. Like, what do you, what do you think are some, man, I did it through, I closed the page that I was on for the chapter. Oh, no. Uh, no I'm going to close that. I'm gonna just, we'll just wing it. So what, what do you think is like the, the number one thing people mess up with tenant screening? For me, if it was me, I would tell you right now, it's not wanting to tell people no and so I would try to justify in my head why I should say yes, which is something that has screwed me in life. But yeah, I think it's, it's part wanting to be the nice guy and part also laziness on that end, right? Because you find somebody that's kind of interested. You say, yeah, they'll probably work out. You don't want to look anymore. They're good enough. And yeah, why not? Right. It'll probably work. In most cases, when you take shortcuts and when it, if you don't, screen your tenants, it will not work out and it will be much more time and much more of a headache and much more of a financial strain on you than if you just take the time up front to actually do your diligence and be picky about your tenants. And if you have to, lower the rent a little bit so you have a, a wide, basically you get to pick who you want to live with is what I like to do. Um, and part of, that, part of that tenant screening that I do is basically I send them an application through what's called cozy.co and they fill it all out the best they can. You know, it tells them like how much they make, it, Gives, makes them put in references, landlord references, employee references, all that kind of stuff. And with that is also a background check and a credit check. And so I like to see a clear background check and I like to see a credit score of at least 600 or higher. And if they don't meet that criteria, I don't accept them. That's that. And if they do pass that criteria, we'll, you know, they'll come, they'll check out the house and we'll, you know, I'll show them around and all that kind of stuff. I'll kind of get a feel for them. I'll talk to them. If they're cool, I always say, hey, we're looking for someone that's clean, quiet and respectful. And if they seem like they're okay with that and that, and you can kind of just tell by looking at someone almost that if they're going to obey those rules or not. And then I just go from there. I mean, yeah, but you have to, you have to go through those processes. And if, if, if one of the boxes isn't checked, there better be a really good reason why you're going to pick them, even though the box is not checked. Yeah. And I like that you, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that you mentioned. One of my favorite tricks for tenants is like, you mentioned it in here is just seeing what their car looks like. Yes, you can tell, you know, and it's so true. People whose car is a pig pen is usually the same with their house. But you mentioned in here, uh, like pre-screen in person, right? So how are they dressed? Are they clean? What's the personality like? Who'd they bring along with them? What's their car look like? And all of that's great. I really like that you mentioned the personality piece because you're talking about roommates here. And so a lot of people get wrapped around the, you know, the, the credit score and all that stuff, but that's an added layer that people don't think about. And that's true. So having had many roommates in the military, I tell you, there are some, like I had a really good friend of mine and we ended up being roommates at our first unit. And within six months we were asking to move out of each other's room because we just like, we we're great friends, great dude. I was in his wedding, still, still friends with him, could not deal with each other as roommates. Like he was one of those leave my dirty laundry on my roommate's rack when, I, when the roommate's out, because I don't want to put my dirty laundry on my bed type guys. And I was like, I'm, I'm like OCD. So I'd come in and be like, why is your laundry on my bed? And you'd be like, Oh, no big deal. Like, why is there an ice cream cone melting on the ground? Like, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't deal with it. Um, so I think that's a big piece that a lot of people just totally miss out on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta, I mean, when, if you're doing this rent by the room on the single family, you gotta kind of screen them as roommates as well as tenants. And, and there's not really a better way than by meeting them, but yeah. And, and the other thing is, and this is, you know, you've got to, 
some of the stuff that you want to say no to is stuff that you like you got to find a real a better reason right because you can't just deny a tenant because oh well um i don't know you smell right like well no actually so if you if you're a house hacking oh that's right you actually can't yeah so you you can basically like deny him for almost anything i would be careful if it's you know a racist or a sexist kind of thing just because you know but yeah you can literally say he reminds me of a high school bully and i don't want to live with memories of those high school days and that's a valid reason when your house when your house hacking because it is your house so that's valid i forgot about that yeah that gives you a little bit more leeway which is great uh because man some there are just it's nice to have that ability right to be able to control your environment even in that situation where you can say look this guy uh, smokes right like i wouldn't want anyone who smokes in my house and and the funny thing is even if you smoke and you're listening to this, you should not let anybody who smokes live in your house because they are gonna, it's gonna smell and you're gonna have issues getting other tenants in when they walk in and it smells like cigarettes. So. Yeah, you will 100% will. Even if they smoke outside, it sticks on their clothes and then that stays and goes in. So I, I would definitely stay away from cigarettes. I also don't like to rent with people with pets. They don't do anything for your property that's valuable, so yeah. Yeah. The only nice thing about pets is being able to charge extra money, but that very rarely, you know, I mean, I, I charge, I've got a pretty solid uh, tenant with a pet right now in Missouri, but they're not, they're not rooming with anyone else. It's just them. And they're paying me a, a large enough chunk of change that I'm okay with the pet, but I wouldn't want to do it with roommates because you just, you're just adding, you never know. Right. You never know who's allergic or the cat or dog's going <laughs> to scratch something up or whatever. And yeah, I mean, if you're going to do rent, uh, pet, I would definitely, charge a decent amount for pet rent and you also want a pet deposit as well because there's going to be fur in the carpet or there's going to be you know there's going to be a lot of cleaning you have to do <clears throat> yeah or you walk into a house like a fix and flip i was in the other day and you're like i don't even know how a cat dies like that but... yeah there's like six of them down here yeah. Yeah. Oh, what in the world that was a cat I don't... <laughs> it was weird it was like this cat had like somehow plucked all of its hair out and laid it in a circle around it and it was a hairless dead cat laying in the middle of a circle of its hair it was very like made me question spirits. Yeah, I was like I was like, what, like I opened the door and it hit the cat, and I was like, "What in the world is that thing?" Uh, did it smell? No, it was the strangest thing. I, I mean, I it had probably been dead there for like a long time, but it was the strangest thing I've ever seen walking through a beat up house, like trying to figure out like how did that thing skin itself, or how did someone else skin that thing and take the time to put the hair in a perfect circle, like it just fell there. Yeah, I hear there's more than one way to skin a cat, so we'll probably never actually know. It's true. Must have been life 10. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right. So what is a resource, book, course, website, or whatever that you would recommend to anybody getting started in real estate? And, you know, I can't tell you not to say bigger pockets because you work there. But, you know, if there's anything else, great. But uh, I'm totally fine with you saying that as well. Yeah. I mean, so there's definitely bigger pockets, right? Bigger pockets. I think, I think my book, The House Hacking Strategy, will be very helpful if you want to get into house hacking because I think those are, those shouldn't actually count towards my, what I say, because I work there and I wrote the book, I would say some other good real estate sort resources is uh, Chad Carson, uh, coach Carson is what you can look from my bed. He's got some great, he's got some, a great podcast and he's got a great blog that you can really look out for. There's also Joe Fairless has got a really good podcast. Um, I'm sure there's the real estate guys. There's like a real estate show. There, there's so many real estate stuff out there. I mean, just go out there, figure out what's best for you and just dive in and learn. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't met Joe in person, but I can definitely speak to Chad being a phenomenal guy. Yeah. They're both, they're both great guys. Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't become a, you know, well-known if you're a total jerk generally, right? I mean, they're out there, but it's few and far between. It's usually guys who got famous as well, like WWE 
but yeah, Antonio and, Brown and stuff. If you know, if you follow football at all recently, but <laughs> and yeah, you're not biased at all with the, writing the book, but uh, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, definitely unbiased opinions here. <laughs> so before we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any parting advice or big ideas that we may have missed? I would just say, don't be afraid to dive in and get started, especially if you're young and you're able to do this because time is on your side if you're young and you know, this, your, your wealth will just compound over time. And honestly, in two to three years, you'll really start to see a huge difference as to where your financial position is compared to a lot of your, your peers. So I would say dive in now and don't be afraid to learn and don't be afraid to fail because you'll just, you'll just learn from your mistakes. So. Oh, and there, before I asked you my final question, there was one other thing about the book that I spaced that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I like that at the end of every chapter, you have a success story from somebody who has house hacked and done, you know, whatever. And every story comes from somebody with a totally different walk of life, right? For everything from someone who had no money and figured it out on this very small, like almost making no money off the live-in to someone who, I think there was one in there that was like an 1800% return, net worth return on investment or something crazy yeah. like that. Right? Dude, in San Francisco too. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's cool because if, so if you're debating the house act or even like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, I couldn't do it. Just know that, the opportunities there, no matter what market you live in, no matter what your income is, there is a way to make a version of the house hacking strategy work for you. And like for me, I'm going to be moving back to Missouri in like two years and I'm going to take my VA loan. I'm going to buy a two, three, four unit property and live in it, even though I have a house there already because it's rented right now. And I'm going to go buy a house hack for another couple of years. And then I'll probably do that one or two more times before I move into you know, a like long-term family house, but it's just such a great strategy, no matter where you are in the nation, where you are with your W2, where you are on your real estate journey. I mean, I think it was what Ben Labovich, right? Who like house hacked like a huge, like a mansion in Phoenix or whatever, like lived in a little unit outside. Like you can house hack a mansion if you want to, like that. It's just a cool strategy to. Yeah. Even yeah, Ben Labovich, David, I mean, Brandon's doing it right now. He's got a triplex, Brandon Turner. On bigger pockets, if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's got a he's got a triplex in Hawaii. He lives on the top floor with an ocean view. He rents out the bottom and keeps the middle just for like guests and stuff that come in. And he's paying like a thousand dollars a month for his mortgage, which is you know pretty dang good if you got an ocean view in Hawaii and you're pretty close to the beach, right? Yeah, it's so. like a one point something million dollar home. And the great thing, and this is what I love about that, is. Yeah, sure. He's not totally debt free off it, but he could he could Airbnb that middle room and he would be profiting on it. But instead, he's chosen to leave it open so that he has a continual flow of friends, family members, business members, podcast guests, whatever. I've been lucky enough to stay out there for a couple of days and just crash. And it's just such a cool place that he set up where he can just he's able to afford to live in paradise and have people that he wants to visit him come out and hang out. So, yeah, yeah, it's super it's cool. Yeah, and, and, and it all started with him house hacking a duplex in Podunk, Washington for like, it was like a $60,000 duplex or something. And it, it all started, right? He started small, but he just house hacking allowed him to get to where he wanted to be. And he's not an old guy. He's in his like early thirties and he's basically living his ideal life. So yeah, yeah. He's definitely done some good things for the real estate community. For sure. Which is what you are going to be doing with this. Not that you haven't done that before. I don't know if that, <laughs> no. that comes off like I'm being a jerk. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know you're not. So, <laughs> And if it comes off that way and you can't deal with it, then stop listening to my podcast. So <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, so where can people get a hold of you, Craig? Uh, website, you know, whatever. I mean, I know. Oh, you know what? 
I, before I let you answer that question, I'm going to cut you off again because I keep forgetting things. Your book comes out on the third, but bigger pockets traditionally does like they do an earlier release and maybe some value if you buy from bigger pockets rather than Amazon. So is there anything like that going on? Yeah. So basically what we do at bigger pockets is we like to give our members kind of first dibs at all the books that come out. And so, and we also like to give them some extra bonus material that Amazon can't give you. Mm. So what we did is the book <coughs> launches on bigger pockets, October 3rd, you can pre-order it now. And if you buy the ultimate package, which is slightly more expensive, but you get all this bonus material includes a house hacking calculator. It includes a one hour interview that I did with Brandon Turner, who basically invented and coined the term house hacking. I also wrote an ebook, <coughs> how to save up for your first down payment, which if you're using the VA loan may or may not be helpful for you, but there's still some really good saving tips in there. Also, I do a walkthrough of the calculator. I do a walkthrough of my properties and a bunch of other stuff as well. So again, just trying to provide a ton, a ton of value and hope that you guys can really just eat it up, learn, start house hacking and kind of take your life back. So you're not stuck behind a cubicle for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's huge. So I'll definitely place the link for the book through bigger pockets down below in the show notes when this airs. And if you're listening to this, by the time you're listening to this, the book goes live tomorrow. Yeah. And you can get it at uh, biggerpockets.com slash house hack. And yeah, I mean, I guess, did Jordy ask? Sorry, you can go ahead. I did ask where people can get a hold of you. And then I cut it off before you could answer. So I guess I should just let you answer that now. Okay. So I guess you guys can all get a hold of me if you need to. Um, at the Fi guy on Instagram. That's the best way to do it. Uh, you can try to find me on Facebook, but I'll probably be less responsive. So I would just say Instagram is the best way. I'm now officially a true millennial and, um, it's a good yeah, platform. The Fi guy at, at, on Instagram. Yes. And if you're, so that's the word, the F I guy, all one word. And I'll yep. also be tagging him on Instagram the day that this goes live. So just follow it for my story. Whoop, whoop. Woo. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for joining us. And also thanks for the advanced copy. The book was awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Definitely. And uh, next time when we see each other in Bigger Pockets Conference in a couple of weeks, let's uh, let's not get that drunk. Or yeah, we'll see. yeah. two beaches. <laughs> Have a great night. See you, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.